bring in a chair, bring in a chair. Come in, get a chair. <laughs> this is Javon now, Javon. Oh man, you've been free. Javon. Javon. Do free, innit, love? As I'm even <laughs> thinking about this, as I'm even thinking about this kid. Javon Morgan knows it will happen again. He's numb to it. It is what it is. That's something that he says a lot. I ask if he ever feels anger towards the people who killed his friends, and he says no. If not anger, then what? I ask. I don't know, he says. It is what it is. It feels natural, normal. We sit in silence for several seconds, which feels much longer. Being shot and killed around me is the same as someone dying from cancer. Do you know what I mean? I say that I do, but we both know that I don't. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello there and welcome to this Sunday edition of the Manchester Weekly from The Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and The Mill's Jack Dalhanty. Hi, Jack. Hi, Daryl. And this week we take a dive into a story in Moss Side, a part of the world that comes with all sorts of preconceptions, doesn't it? We meet this week a group, 84 Youth, who are helping those people through the trauma of violence, violence against either themselves or their friend or their community. Jack spent some time in Moss Side meeting the people who make up this group and this brilliant, wonderful part of Greater Manchester to bust some of the stigma, to to dig beyond some of the obvious lazy headlines and news reports that you get about Moss Side to find out who these people really are and what's really going on in their lives. Uh, We'll hear some of those stories in a moment, Jack, but take us to Moss Side firstly. Yeah, so as you say, I think Moss Side as as an area is a really storied place and it's been written about a lot across the country in national media and regional media. So with this story, what kind of happened was I was writing about knife crime for a separate thing and for one of our big stories. And I ended up calling Akemya Minot, who runs 84 Youth, which is this youth organization. And while we were talking on the phone and I was just kind of getting like a context quote from her. And then I was like, oh, we should actually like arrange another chat. You know, what you do sounds really interesting. But what it all started to become over time so this would have been back in February but what it ended up becoming was less writing just a story about an organization it was this it became trying to find the person like there's a a saying that Yoshi says a lot but it's a big saying in journalism which is like I don't write about men I write about the man like the person that typifies the thing that we want to understand and that's essentially what this story is it was taking an angle on a place that had been written about a lot about a group of people who have been written about a lot. And instead of trying to just do it generally, like this is what Moss Side is like, it's kind of subverted it by going, okay, here's the, the the closest portrait, the most zoomed in version of this story that I could give you. So that was the intention. Yeah. And and along the way, you met a couple of key characters, didn't you? And, and Javon Morgan is one of them. Yes. So Javon works at 84 Youth. He's one of the co-founders. And again, meeting him was by complete chance. What I'd kind of ended up into this habit of just going down to 84 Youth probably like once every two weeks. And I'd speak to Akemya for a while about all the stuff that she's been doing. And Akemya has this like amazing team of people that she works with, Javon included. So, And she can mobilize them with 
utter ease. It's unbelievable. There was a day when I went down and she'd forgot that I was coming. And I was like, oh, I, I thought there was going to be a few more people down. She was like, no, 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 I'll ring them all now. And within like 10 minutes, there was like five more people all sat in the office with us. One of them, after a while, ended up being Javon and he sat down and I started talking to him. And it was after talking to him that I was like, it was kind of like, okay, that's the one. Like we found the person now who I think can best typify what these people or what this experience is I mean they all experience it in completely different ways as you'd expect anyone to experience trauma differently but with the the experiences of Javon how he'd been close to so many of these kinds of incidents how he'd lost multiple friends to violence but also he'd lost friends who had been imprisoned for violence he kind of told both sides of that story and he was he had that aura of someone who was like the last one left that's how Akemi described him when we first met and this isn't a story about the crimes or you know, it's no true crime story as you say it's about it's about the man isn't it it's about the people that are often left behind in these kind of situations but I think to understand Jevon and his story and the setting here it's helpful for us to understand what happened to two of his friends right so like I presume the two that you're referring to are Sharif and Say, who are his two friends who've been killed. But I mean, as we, we spoke about in the interview, he's known many people who've come to be murdered. So people like Jesse James, who was a really famous case in the early 2000s. He knew him when Javon would have been much younger. But yeah, I think Sharif and Say are the two kind of reference points when you're talking about this, the kind of experiences that... You know, when you read about these kind of crimes in, say, like the MEN or even in not so much some national newspapers do it well, but in regional newspapers, they are kind of quite, I say in the story, quite cartoonish. Like they're described very, not excessively because it's hard to overwrite these terrible things. But what you don't hear so much about uh, is someone like Javon who was very, very close to these things happening. And then has just had to carry on living the rest of his life, having seen these things happen to his friends. Instead of like, I mean, the way it could have been done and the way it's usually done is you cover a lot about the crime itself. So for, for context, Sharif was shot at a party and Sait was stabbed again at a kind of gathering, which th- these things are all in their own ways interconnected which is something that we don't tend to try and get to in the story because, as you say, this isn't about trying to, you know, interrogate these situations or pull them apart. It's trying to give a kind of prism for these people to share how this stuff feels, which is just something that I felt had been lacking. Sharif and Sait were two really close friends of Javon's who both, unfortunately, were killed as a result of violent crime. That makes a big portion of the story up because obviously that's one of the main things that has affected Javon as he's grown up but what you know Akemia has spoken about and what we talk about in the story is how close these things happen in time it creates what Akemia and people who she works with 84 youth have termed perpetual traumatic stress syndrome instead of post-traumatic stress syndrome it's the idea that you can't recover from one person from the loss of one person before you lose someone else which is kind of like the key driving thing behind what 84 Youth do is trying to break that cycle and help people to recover fully from one thing and then in the next thing. But again, it's built into this whole thing, like as we said at the top of the podcast, that they know that he he knows it will happen again. When we spoke to each other, it had just happened again to someone he knew, his cousin. And 
there's a lot of tragedy involved in this piece, but the real tragedy is that people can't really, they're constantly on the backward step, I suppose. They, before that they can recover from losing one person, they've lost someone else. So in the case of, say, Shavon had only just recently lost friends to a joint enterprise case that was very controversial. And then not long after losing, say, he loses Sharif. And that's kind of, you never get the chance to process it. So you never really recover from it. And that's sort of the key issue. And you went and spent some time with uh, Javon, and, and I think you also went to Javon and Sheriff's houses, didn't you, as well? And you went went to sort of drive by there. How does Javon talk about? his community and his friends and his life in Moss Side. As I say in the piece, he's very laid back. He's not very easily excited by anything. He's very choice with his words, very laconic. I think for him, it, you know, like, because one of the obvious things that we are, I asked a lot during this process of interviewing people from Moss Side is, you know, like, if this is such a violent place, it's the thing that people often ask is, you know, why don't you just leave? Why don't you move to any, you know, Wally Ray? Obviously, there's multiple economic factors that stop people from just moving house. But, you know, they're kind of, if you would, why not just leave? And it was just kind of like, well, why would I leave? This is where everything is. This is where I grew up. My family are here. It developed incredibly strong bonds between the people themselves who experience this stuff. It was interesting because when I was talking to Akemi, she was often talking about how, you know, you read in the paper now that the sort of community has gone out of modern British life like there's no the sort of those heady halcyon images of like people coming out of the house and like tipping the hat to the neighbour and everyone knows each other and all that sort of thing and I think really what this has shown me is that people just aren't looking in the right places for that because Moss Side is very much that community people do step out of the house they look next door and they chat to each other everyone knows everyone you know like I say in the piece it's the kind of place where you can um, take a walk around minding your own business and come back knowing everyone else's like it is that kind of place where they have such a tight-knit community that to leave would just it's almost it just doesn't compute when you ask that question it's kind of like no why would I leave despite everything that's gone on and that's exactly what Javon says when I ask him about his life it's kind of like this is where I grew up you know he has a young daughter there he all of his friends are from there and you know, when you ask anyone from Maasai, would you ever leave? They're just like, no, because it's great. I mean, there's still all the carnival. There's still a huge amount of culture in the area. It's difficult because I think he's just as conflicted as you would expect someone to be who's grown up somewhere that they love and they grow up somewhere amongst people who they are incredibly close to, but they also have the understanding that it's a violent place and that it's where, you know, the circumstances in which they've grown up and the circumstances in which their friends have grown up, have left them susceptible to this kind of crime just because it's a high crime area. That's not to say that he doesn't want to leave. It's a conflicted existence, I think. Which is, I think, that's kind of what you would expect growing up somewhere like that. Perpetual trauma. Trauma and stress. Yeah, that's why we... How everything's so tightly... That's why we termed that phrase, because yeah. it is perpetual. Like, all that stuff's happened and finished, but every time I drive past any of these spots, and imagine it's every day. Yeah. It's, I think of it... I think of them every day anyway, yeah. but there's the triggers as well. Because I know, way. like, our base, that's the wall that Abs was hiding behind. Mm. 
this is where the cars were parked and there they were just chilling so it's really all really close and uh, Akimia talks about the perpetual traumatic stress syndrome that you, you talk about there and about the fact that they are they don't have the time to grieve for their friends because before the next one happens I guess you also point to and this is linking us back in a, in a sense to something we've talked about a couple of times recently on the Manchester Weekly podcast and around a story that's very relevant and hot right now. And that is the gang framework around which a lot of these stories are reported, right? Then the, the sort of news media often refers to them, as you say, in cartoonish terms. And that potentially sort of playing a part in the problem as well, Jack, and, and perpetuating the problem. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that's something that comes up a lot. When I was speaking to people about the media, they would say, you know, like, the media doesn't really help us. The way that we're portrayed in this community, you know, at one point, Akemi said, the way that we're portrayed in the media, it makes us look like the Wild West. And in a strange phenomenon, she was saying that actually attracts more violent crime. A lot of the people, like, for example, in the case of Javon's two friends who were called Satan Sharif, their killers weren't from Mossad. So it's kind of like this area is treated as somewhere where, you know, it's developed this reputation, both through what's happened there, but also through how it's been consistently reported in the media, that it's the kind of place where you can go and commit violent crime. Of course, there's nowhere on earth that you can, you know, have a free pass to go and commit these kinds of crimes. But what they were talking about was this kind of reputation where people feel almost more at ease doing that there because of the reputation that's been built up in the media around it and just generally because of its history. There was one uh, headline or a, a, perhaps a, a line in an article in, in the media in which the violence was described as men being blasted in the head. You take a dive into some of the language that's used, Jack, and you can see why that sort of cartoonish imagery, imagery is, is contributing to the problem. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's completely irreverent. It's not acting as though these people are even real in some ways, because, you know, blasting is the sort of term that you'd use for a video game, or it's like fresh out of a film or an arcade, and it, it contributes to this sort of dehumanization of the people who live in these places, as if the fact that they live live there is in and of itself an acceptance of violence, as if, well, we live in Mossad, so... We'll just accept it that this is a violent place. But in reality, it's the same as violence occurring in somewhere like Hale and how, you know, in the case of Yusuf Maki and Joshua Molnar, that felt like a real shock to the system for that community. But it's the same in Mossad every time it happens as well. But because of this kind of woven up idea that it's just kind of like, oh yeah, people just take this on the chin and just move on with their lives because, well, it's my side. It's, it isn't how it works. And I think that the, you know, Javon story should help that be better understood, hopefully. There's a few comments from people uh, on, on the article, Jack, that are worth bringing up. Karen says, two things that stand out about Jack's telling of this story, an absence of the victim blaming and a rawness of the interviewee's losses. It's a compelling, humane and important piece. And Phil says, uh, sitting in hot cars and shipping containers and listening to people as they tell their stories, their accounts and their interpretations, writing them up and publishing them, something we may have lost the skills or the inclination to do, but not here, not on the mill. And that's uh, a fair point well made, I think, from both of those people. In the article, Jack, you, you suggest that most sides violence could be seen as a fog of the area but in reality it's no different to anywhere else through that perceived fog Javon dreams of his friends doesn't he 
Yeah, that's something actually. So that quote is from the first time we met where we were all sat in the office and there was like me, Akemya, Akemya's son, who's called Shiloh, Taya, who's someone else who works at 84 Youth and a few other of the people who were involved. And it became this kind of like big session of just me kind of asking a question into midair and like five different people jumping on it to answer it and that's when he just brought up the fact that like he still dreams about Sharif and he still dreams about Satan what things would be like if they you know his other friends multiple of whom went to prison back in 2017 uh, in the Abdul Hafida case and he dreamt about being able to walk around it was you know the what was so heartbreaking I think about that was how the things that he was dreaming of were completely banal. It wasn't like he was having these fanciful flying around weird dreams. It was just like, I'm just dreaming of like arranging to do something on the weekend with my friends, which is something like any 24 year old would think, oh, well, yeah, I do that every week. But it's kind of like, that's just crazy to me because I do that every week and I'm 23. But the thought that you could sit and dream about, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to just arrange to go out on the weekend with my friends, but you can't because none of them are there. Yeah. Because I deal with one of my closest friends, so like, that's how friends are, innit? They annoy each other. Um, it was funny. Um, he had a character, like, he, there was no one like him, like, everyone knew this guy, like, you knew when Terry was coming, like, you could hear him from a mile away, could see him from a mile away. Like, Terry was just Cherry. You can read Jack's brilliant piece from my side. Manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to read that and to subscribe. Jack, thank you so much. That's it from us for this week. We are back in your podcast feed on Thursday for your news briefing. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast as well so that you'll get it. As soon as we publish it, it will be in your feed to listen to. You'll get a little notification as well. All you need to do is press subscribe. Leave us a comment or a review as well to help other people find the podcasts and don't forget subscribe to more news in-depth stories events and bits and bobs going on around greater manchester manchestermill.co.uk